In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, Heavenly King, O comfort of the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fullest of all things. O treasure, every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse every stain and save our souls, O good one. Just a, a bit of a warning. Because all of us have been um, influenced a lot, the media, schools, films, uh, etc., and we're not really that sure about what the church says, some of the things you're going to hear today could be opposite to the way that you think. And as a result of that, you could actually begin to become a bit um, terrorised or go into some type of turmoil or disagree and become even angry. Why is this different to what the world says? Now remember, all of us, and especially you people who are in the world um, a lot and listen to these things, you have um, been exposed to this for many hours a day. I have around two hours. So therefore, it may, I may come across that I'm going a bit quick. It might come across that I'm being a bit abrupt. Some of you might think it sounds cruel, but there are a lot of people who really want to hear what the church has got to say about these um, matters. And others, not that interested. Some of you might have come out of curiosity. That's okay. But the point is, if you do disagree to anything, one, you can ask questions in a nice way and I will try and answer. And if, it, if you find that the topic uh, doesn't suit you or whatever, you're welcome also to walk out peacefully. That's, that's not a problem. I don't have any problems with that. Uh, but if you're going to stay, I would like, if you've got questions, to ask them probably. If you don't agree, say, I can understand that. That's okay. And I'll try to answer if I can. Because you will find that a lot of these things are just... Um, quite different to the way we have been brought up. Because we are a product, a lot of our society, and some of us do go to church, but we might go to church a couple of hours a week or every fortnight. Some of you might go every month. Some of you don't understand what the priest is saying. Some of you do go to English services. And therefore, the exposure to orthodox teachings is minimal compared to what we get in the world. We're carrying on from last time's talk, which was on um, better to marry than to burn with passion, and that one of the purposes of marriage was, the main purpose of marriage was to avoid uh, sexual immorality, and then thereafter comes having children, etc. But the, but the main purpose that St. Paul says in his epistles is if someone can't hold, if someone can't contain themselves, they're better off to get married. Some of you could be already married. You'll find that it will still be beneficial. Some of you are thinking about marriage and some of you aren't sure. All of you will be catered for in the talk. So let's say, without a doubt, it's without a doubt that we know that there is an attraction between male and females. Of course, there's the other business as well of same-sex attraction, that's another kettle of fish, but in here we're going to talk about um, males and female, there's a, an attraction. And people are attracted to people for different reasons, for different reasons. So, 
I've made a little list here. This is what people have told me. Some people are attracted solely on looks. They base their relationship, if they want to have a relationship or even to get married, on looks. They want the person to be nice looking. Some people even like the person to be not nice looking. And you might say, well, who, which, which person would like someone to be um, ugly or whatever? Even though in God's eyes, no one's ugly, but let's just say how the world says things, that people are either beautiful women or, or not so beautiful, plain women, then there's handsome men and there's not so handsome men and there's ugly men, all these type of things. Now, you might say, why would someone want to, um, why would someone be attracted to someone who's not that good looking? A lot of people have what's called inferiority complex and they can't imagine themselves that they could get anyone that's actually good looking in the first place. So they don't like to be rejected, so they actually go for someone who they believe would be in a better position to accept them. And that is not a very good reason to base our choosing of someone either because they're nice looking or because they're not nice looking. I know people that actually said I married my wife, for example, etc., because I knew or that he, he thought that there's no way that anyone that is even slightly good-looking would even look at me. So he had a, actually a really, really low self-esteem, and he actually chose someone like that. Some people cannot fathom marrying anyone unless they are good-looking. And St John Chrysostom says, for example, he advises men, when you're going to marry a woman and she's beautiful, you're going to have a big problem because you're not going to know if she's going to be yours because of the looks then there's, there's going to be uh, other men to be attracted. You're never going to know if she's going to be yours or not. So that's what St John Chrysostom says. So this mentality that I want to marry someone really good-looking, which is the majority, I mean, some people go for the others, I said, but most people say, I want to find someone that's good-looking. It's actually contrary to uh, the mouth of St Paul, which is St John Chrysostom, which says, don't go for those things. Now, a lot of women who are, and girls, young girls, who are quite disturbed about this image, body image, facial image, etc. they actually are, uh, are preoccupied with their looks and they actually think that um, uh, the ones who are good looking are actually in a better position at how lucky they are. But in the church's eyes, actually, no, because we have a lot of saints who were actually quite women saints, like Saint Fevronia, who were very, very beautiful, but they couldn't wait to get old because they felt that their beauty was a hindrance in their spiritual life. Now, this is all contrary to the world, but that's the way a lot of the saints think. And a lot of the saints would actually, when they would see grey hair coming, they would say, oh, that's um, good, I'm actually now becoming older, which means I'm coming closer to my end, while today, especially women with their, you know, they don't even want to go through menopause, they take medications and no grey hair and no wrinkles and they go through all these cosmetic surgeries or take medications and that, all so as not to become old. This is contrary to the church and those people actually do suffer quite a lot because even if they have an operation, whatever they get done, and all of a sudden a little wrinkle or a little blemish occurs, these people can't cope 
and they actually want to, again and again, that's why a lot of them have had quite a few surgeries. So this type of phenomenon, which is actually contrary to God's law, the result of it is, where you see on the TV continually, there's a danger of young girls becoming anorexic. There's a big problem there because of this body image. As, as little as even seven, six years old, a lot of it they get from the TV, a lot of it they get from school, a lot of it they get from their own mothers who also are preoccupied with that and the children watch and learn from that. But the problem is now, while before they used to say it was okay, now they're starting to have all these psychologists and all that saying, there's, we, our children are in danger, especially our, our, the, the young ones, and as they grow up, they're becoming quite maladjusted. They cannot really function in the world because they're preoccupied with their figures, their faces, etc. So some people go with personality. Some people go with even just the eyes. And we read in, the, in that marriage book, I think, that someone said that I married my husband, let's just say, because of he had such beautiful eyes. And then the joke in there says that after getting married, they realised they didn't just marry the eyes, they married the whole person. But to get married or to have a relationship just because someone's eyes, and you might say that I'm overdoing it, but it's not. It's, that is a warning for the people are preoccupied with certain things. So the eyes, and we've got um, popularity. They want to have a popular person. Some people are attracted to the education, to the intellect. They can, the intellect can also be either that the person's really intelligent or the person can be slow. I remember one woman actually saying that she married her husband because he was slow. I said, why did you do that for? Because that makes me in a superior position. That's not a very good basis for a marriage. Some people say that they want a person with a sense of humour. They like them to be, make them laugh because they're very depressed, so they need someone to make them laugh a lot. And the other problem with there with a the sense of humour is a lot of times people that joke a lot, it's because they're hiding their real selves. So a person who is actually jolly and making jokes continually is the laugh of the party. A lot of times if you actually go really deep into their uh, souls, which happens a lot when you confess people, you'll find that they're actually quite depressed, insecure people. They have to continually make jokes, jokes, jokes. And some people make mistake and they go, oh, that person's really cool, whatever words they, that they use these days, and it's really fantastic. He's really the life of the party. He's got it all together, or she's got it all together. But those people a lot of times are insecure. I mean, even a lot of actors and actresses or singers, that people see them and go, oh, they're really confident. And a lot of times they're not. They're actually really unsettled. I mean, even uh, we know about, um, some of you don't remember because you're a bit, bit young, but uh, Graham Kennedy, who was, um, used to make the whole of Australia laugh, and that, he was a very insecure person. Even Nicole Kidman is a very shy person. And a lot of those uh, people are quite shy. But, you know, when they are in their role, they can hide behind it. Like, for example, I remember once um, someone who was, um, I don't know, say, he was, say a doctor. The doctor, when he's in his role, can be quite confident. Outside of the role, he, he's not confident. Why? Because he's hiding behind his profession, his position, 
So don't be tricked and think that because someone is popular, because someone's really funny, that that means that they are absolutely what you think they are. Then we've got um, characters like um, uh, some people like confident people, as we said. Some people like classy people. Some people like people that are weak because it makes them feel better. I was actually speaking to someone on the phone the other day and uh, we were discussing things and he was saying, why am I so inclined to making friends with people that are mentally ill? And I said, because it puts you in an uh, advantage point that you are superior to them, it makes you feel well, and he goes, that's, that's it. Because I don't go and get normal friends, not that we, we reject people that are mentally ill, I'm just saying, in this case, in his case, he only has people that are ill. And even married his wife, who he knew was, was extremely mentally ill, which we will come to later on. And he admitted, yes, yes, because I need, I cannot be with people that aren't mentally ill because when I see them, they intimidate me, which comes from pride, and they really bother me and I become, I get all thoughts about them and I begin to hate them because I see that they're really better than me. So when you hang around with other people who you are a, a bit above because your mental state might be a little bit better, that gives you that superiority. That's not a good basis for a spiritual life. You don't want someone to marry you because they say to you, oh, I'm, I'm, later on, I married you because you're um, mentally ill and that way I will be superior to you. Things like that, or I'm in more intellectual than you. So there's, you know, it's funny that people don't understand that there's a lot of motivations behind why people form relationships, why people get married with certain people. Now, some people are into, um, oh, as I said, some people are like, weak people, some people like humble people, some people like quiet people, some people like loud people, some people like insecure, some people like nerds, as they say in today's society. Some people like that, they go, oh, I love that guy's smile, that smile. So, you know, they, they actually form a relationship and even pursue to get married because the person's got a nice smile. Now, you might say it's all a bit far-fetched, but it's not. And if you read those magazines that some of you might read, you'll see that a lot of that's in there anyway. Some people like the way that people laugh. Some people like the hair. Some people are attracted to bald men. Some people are attracted to men with long hair. Some people are attracted to men with curly hair, women with straight hair, short hair, etc. There's all these different reasons of why, of how we are attracted to people. Tall, short, muscular, skinny. Now the people, and there's religion, plays a role as well. Someone's political convictions, how they believe in politics, that can be attractive for some. Their nationality, whether they've got plenty of money, or if they've got money, they like to marry someone that's poor so they can become dependent on them for their money. And in general, oh, and in general, some people say, and it was love at first sight. Now, I don't know how liking someone's smile or someone's eyes is love at first sight. And there's no such thing really as love at first sight. There is a connection, there might be what we call chemistry, but not love at first sight, because love comes as time goes on. So we'll be careful of that. Now, there's a lot of information out there in those magazines and on TV, etc., about dating. And what really makes me sick about that information is that it goes to the point where it actually has to give detailed explanation explanations to the people of how to date, where to go, 
what to say, how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, you know, what all these type of things. Why is there such a necessity for people to go to that level? And, and, and a lot of people get anxiety and get quite mentally ill, depressed, just over the, the, um, the stress of dating and relationships, etc., etc., you know, and we'll come to that in a minute. There's, of course, there's um, instructions about how to um, kiss people, and then there's also other instructions of the detailed sexual nature, which a lot of you are already aware of. Now, we've got magazines for people. We've got Clear for women, Dolly, and these, I think one's called Girlfriend, which is for young girls, which there was a whole controversy about that. Um, a few, maybe half a year ago, that in the Dolly magazine they were given really explicit details about things for young girls who are as young as even pre, before they even have reached puberty. And um, can we stop that? We can't really stop it. And Saint uh, a Father, uh, Archbishop of Verki, a Russian hierarch of Jordanville, he actually said that you can't stop the apostasy, you can't stop what's going on in the world. That's a bit hard. We can pray, but you can't really stop. But what we can do is, to, he says, is to protect ourselves. Protect ourselves, protect our children. I'm not here to go around now so that I can encourage people to go and burn down the, uh, the printing plant of um, Cleo's and all these people. That's not, you know, that's not for us to do. What I'm here is, is to, and those who will listen to the talks later on, is to help people of how to protect themselves and their children, not, and nor is it our business to go out and go and preach to other people, especially non-orthodox, and telling them what to do and what to say and how to dress. This is that's that's why they get very aggressive and go against the church. Now, there's a new magazine going to come out because I knew that had to come out one day, and also there's Playboy for Men and other magazines that they've got. And there's a new magazine coming out now for young teenage boys called Explode. I don't know if it's come out yet or not. And it's the sister magazine of the one which is called Girlfriend. So the young guys are going to have now a magazine. And this psychologist, he wrote that this magazine will help with literacy and with health education, similar to the Harry Potter, where people said These, this book helps people to read um, and that's why they're good books. For example, Harry Potter. Even though it's got magic and demonic things in there, which is all contrary to the church, it's still good because it makes children read. Well, if that's the case, there are so many things on the internet these days which children can read, really bad things. But there's even things of how to make homemade bombs and how to do terrorism, etc., etc. And some kids actually... Um, are into reading that. So we're going to encourage them to say that's good that you're reading that because it's encouraging you to read. The argument, which is quite um, ridiculous, that it makes children read is not good enough. And that's why we have even the Optina elders, the father of, um, he had, I don't know how many children he had, but three of his sons, if I remember right, became great saints. The father of three of the Optina elders. And he says, I'd rather have my children uneducated than to learn the wrong thing. And we have many great saints in the Greek church, Serbian church, the Russian church. St. Paisios Velichovsky, he actually said, 
Um, he left school because I don't want to go to school because of the fact that I rather I rather know uh, know nothing about what they teach at school rather than have my soul corrupted. So this was very important for Christians of old. Not that important for Christians today, and that's wrong. Some people say, oh, well, at least he's reading. At least she's reading. Now, this book, which this psychologist says is really good because it teaches about it will help the child become more literate and help and, and uh, enlighten him in health education. He goes, these things, he says, teenage boys are fascinated with one question, am I normal? Uh, well, coming out of a society like we have today, uh, I don't blame them for not understanding what, what is normal, because they don't know. I've dealt with people that are now 40 years old that have come out of that culture, and they actually say, I don't know, I don't know how to act, I don't know what to say. These are 40-year-olds. People that are not really involved in the world. When you're involved in the world a lot, like too much, like the worldly, worldly things, you don't really notice a lot of times that, there's good, that you've got problems. It's only when you start to separate yourself especially when you come closer to the church, that you begin to notice that you've got anxiety of how to walk and how to talk and how to move and how to sit, how to drink, what to say. It's just, and this is a very big problem. Some of you say, I don't have that. We've all got it. Because when you have a child watching TV from young and they're imitating what they see on the TV, which is a lot of it is exaggerated and wrong, that child, as he grows up, will become, or she, be, will become confused. That's 100%. Children imitate what they see, and they should be imitating their parents, and hopefully their parents are leading godly lives, imitating other people at the church, imitating good things, especially in the first few years of life, where the child's like a sponge. Not imitating the things that they see on TV. And, I'm, and, and I tell you 100%, I don't know how I can say it, that it is really damaging and that people do have a lot of problems. So he says there in that, and then he has to put a few good things there, how to handle a divorce of your parents. That's going to be some issues in the magazine, how to deal with annoying siblings. They're going to have their uh, people that have got same-sex attraction. They're going to help them as well. And now we see, again on the TV, a whole thing about that there are girls who want to have breast implants at 13, 14, 15, 16, and the people are saying this is, this is not right. And then they say, well, they're, they're old enough to know what they want. And some psychologists and doctors say, no, they shouldn't. And some are saying, no, they should. And if the parents agree with it, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a problem. And that all comes a lot from the media and the TV. So this magazine, for some of the things, sounds really good. But that's how the Dolly magazine started and a lot of the other magazines started. But later on, that just really, really goes into an avalanche. And that's why I don't want to repeat, but some of you might already have heard the, con the, con the, the controversy with the Dolly magazine of really bad stuff for young kids. The same will happen with, the, with, with this magazine for the boys. It would just have things in there that are totally, even we as Orthodox Christians will say it's wrong, but even the worldly people, even the doctors and psychologists and sociologists, and a lot of them will also say that a lot of this stuff is not appropriate. God doesn't just have the church as his mouth, but he also enlightens worldly people. 
and you get little spots of the truth coming from these people. Not everything in psychology is bad. Not everything in, in, um, in medicine is um, bad. There's good things. And even from those people, good things come out. We have the entire truth. They have what's called sparks of the truth. God does not leave anyone. Some people not, might not have contact with the Orthodox Church. Some people don't even know what the Orthodox Church is. They've got no idea. We have the church. We have the fullness of the truth. A lot of these people don't. So what, is God in a way stingy and say, I'm only going to give my word of truth to the Orthodox Christians? No, he enlightens also other people to come to some form of the truth to help people. Doesn't leave, as I said, God gives his reign to sinners. He gives his reign to the righteous. He gives his food to sinners. He gives his food to um, the righteous. He gives good gifts to those who don't even believe in him. He gives good gifts to those who blaspheme him. And how about those who don't blaspheme, those who just don't know much about the truth? Isn't he going to give them anything of the truth? And he, of course, he does. And even that's why if you just sit down and watch those current affairs and, and some of those shows, they've got some, a lot of rubbish, but they also have some things that come out, which is the, you know, children with these dolls, the Barbie doll thing, which the church always, a lot of people in the church, a lot of spiritual fathers said, those things are bad. And they would say, oh, church, that's... They're, they're really backward and this and that. And what's wrong with the Barbie dolls and what's wrong with the Bratz dolls and what's wrong with these toys and, and um, electronic games and all these type of things. And now it's all come out more and more that children are getting affected. Things are done slowly. For example, when they wanted to legalise abortions in America, for example... A lot of arguments were that women were going to backyard places and becoming and were bleeding out or getting infected and dying, etc. And what they did first is that the Hollywood produced a lot of films to do with all those things and made it really a very pro towards the poor woman who, you know, goes through all these problems and she doesn't want to have the child and all these things. They make it really nice with the music really emotional. When Hollywood wants to do something, they know how to do it. And that's what was happening. Then suddenly, around the 1970s, then they started pushing for the law to legalise abortion. They had a law which they said, if a woman is in danger of losing her life, then she, um, that was allowed. And what women used to do, they used to go to some horrible doctors who would certify that the woman was suicidal when she wasn't. And um, it was a way to get around some of the laws which were stricter. And then as supposedly all these laws were passed for the good of women. And then later on, as time went on, the, um, the law became more elastic, elastic, and now it's basically uh, like a supermarket, in, out. You walk in, the procedure's done, you walk out. That's how it is. Now, we heard about the controversy, for example, lately with the artist, uh, the, the photographer, who had an exhibition and he had some photography of children that were uh, in a, um, not dressed, and they are 12, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and there's a whole blob about that. It's interesting how that debate is going, slowly, slowly, to see how it's done. 
And what they did, they have some debates they talk about on the radio. I saw one on SBS, I forgot which one it was, uh, a show called Insight, and they had a they had a, um, a whole panel there of different people speaking about that. And it's interesting that they even had children, uh, uh, people who did do that years ago and they're now adults and they were saying that I've got no problems and I agreed to it then when I was six and I agree to it now. And there's, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. All of a sudden now where before the children that were young and 12 and 13, 14 didn't have really uh, a right, but they had to go on their parents, even though some of these parents agree with it, but in general, what they're doing now is they're trying to home in and say that the children have a right to, do, to choose whether they want to do that or not. That's the argument which will then lead slowly, slowly into dropping the age of consent for children to engage in sexual activities with older people, which is what the pedophiles want. And that's what all, it all goes slowly. There are a lot of films out there now on that, and the magic word is that it's art, that it's art. They've got ways of arguing it, and it sounds good for some people. The main thing is that the parents consented, but even above the parents was that the children consented, that they have a mind to consent at 10, 11, 6, 8, 12, 13, 14 is beyond me. And then they bring in some people who were subjected to that when they were young and who now are older and say, There's, I've, I've got no problem with it. Well, that's you. But how about everyone else that might have been subjected to that and do have problems? What happens to them? Do we ever hear about it from them? And anyway, basically from the church, it's forbidden. But I'm trying to explain to you that it's slow, so that it's to do with the age of consent. It is, it is for, a, um, it's for the pedophiles, basically. In Spain, from what I heard, the age of consent, I think, has gone down to 12. Germany, 14. Other countries, I think, here, 16. So it's going to be like that soon. And you say, oh, no, nah, they'll never do that. But they will do it. It's slow. Films, media, and they make you feel that if you actually go against it, that you are, have no love, that you're backward, that you're distorted, that you're a fanatic, that you're off, that you don't care. And that's how they do it. Some people kind of become a bit scared and they go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to make our stance. But what does that mean? Go out and protest? No, make our stance with ourselves with our children in our own life. So that whole debate, and, and, and to slap them in the face against those who are debating against those children posing like that, they went and did one, I don't know if it was in Melbourne where it was, a six-year-old on purpose. They showed a six-year-old pigeon. And then, and then that, that girl now is 11, and she came out and said, I had no problems then, and I've got no problems now. So that's all... Um, a slow process and it's good to know that because we are subjected to those things and they also push it in the schools as well. As we noticed, um, just on that topic quickly, which we'll go more into it in another talk, in a couple of talks forward, God willing, on children, we will go, we will, we will, we will discuss that, but um, 
The other thing I want to say is that pedophiles are actually uh, in all parts of society. And as you know from some arrests that happened lately, there was judges and police people and teachers and doctors and this and that. So they're everywhere. And these people, together with their other friends, are pushing these laws for their own purposes. They're not interested in the well-being of children. And anyway, let's leave that because it becomes disturbing. And so our children and adults get all their information from these type of things, TV, internet, newspapers, magazines, psychologists. Some people go to psychologists because they've got a problem. One of the biggest businesses for um, the biggest work that they, the psychologists get is just people dealing with relationships. So there is a big problem in the area of relationships. Why? We'll come to that later. But the point is that that's what most of their business is. Just people going and saying, oh, I can't, I can't have a boyfriend, I can't get a girlfriend, I can't talk, can't do this, can't do that, etc., etc. So one would have thought that if um, our children and a lot of adults are exposed to such richness that exists in the world today, with in inverted commas richness, of all this information on all issues, especially in the area of sex education, etc., one would have thought that our society would have been better. Because remember, as I've said before, that they always believed that the church was repressive, that the church used to make people sick because they didn't allow them to express themselves sexually, etc. But now, the, the church has lost a lot of its power, by the way. Um, hardly no one even knows what the church believes. And... Um, and the ones that are most ignorant are Orthodox Christians wouldn't even hardly know at all what, what their church believes. I've met Orthodox Christians go, oh, do we have confession? I thought only Catholics have confession. So there, people, there is a lot of ignorance. But anyway, we want to say that people have been exposed from young to contraception, to this, to all those things, even about relationships and everything. But yet we are noticing more and more that people are still dysfunctional in their life. Either they are uh, um, socially dysfunctional or sexually. or In every way, people are more and more and more. It's on the increase. Suicide's on the increase. All those problems are on the increase. Divorce is on the increase. Children with problems are on the increase. I mean, New South Wales, I think, has got one of the highest suicide rates. Why? Enlightened. We're New South Wales, with all the um, liberal... Uh, education that we've got and everything that goes on. I, when I used, when I taught years ago, and that's I'm talking about now, 25 years ago. 20, I was at a school 25 years ago, and I was taking just a class and um, casual on that day, and uh, I had to take health education, and the teacher gave me some sheets to give out to the to the girls, which were about year um, eight, I think they were, bottom in year eight. And uh, I didn't study what, what it was. Um, that was wrong. But I should have looked what the sheets were. I thought they were just, you know, brushing your teeth or something. And these sheets turned out to be really, really explicit 
questions, a questionnaire on everything, lesbianism, everything was in there. I realized what happened and then I was watching the reaction of the children and I was so unmoved, they just, it was like nothing, they just ticked them and threw it to the side and started talking. Why? Because it's nothing to them anymore. And that's 25 years ago. I actually had another encounter where I had to go, I was at another school and I was told to show a video on um, some inappropriate things to Year 7 and I said no. So I never really got called for that school again. So I lost a bit of money, but that's okay. I don't see, I did it once, and I think they said okay, but then when I did it again, I just for some reason never got called, but that's okay, because God opened the doors other places. My point is, if they are getting all this exposure, why is it that sexually transmitted diseases, I heard someone tell me, 300% increase. Abortions has increased. Unwanted pregnancies has increased. There are just so many problems that are occurring. And these people are people that have gone through educational programs whereby they've taught about condoms and this and that and everything that, that, that they can think of. Actually, interesting and embarrassing for the Orthodox who don't even much speak about it, really embarrassing, actually quite irritating, is that even in America, there are some schools that don't teach that anymore. They don't teach about contraception. They actually teach what's called abstinence programs, which is they teach the children that the best way to avoid pregnancy, to avoid problems, to avoid um, abortions, to avoid um, diseases, AIDS, etc., etc., is abstinence. In other words, do not indulge in those things. That's in America. And they find in, actually, that that's actually more um, successful. There's more of a success there. But isn't that what the church has always taught? And some of you say, well, does it? I didn't even know the church teaches that. Why? There are Protestant groups who actually teach that. Catholics actually teach that. But I, when I go through and look and try and work out from an orthodox point of view, it's here and there, but kind of always not really open. I think maybe we believe, well, I don't believe it, but a lot of people might believe that by saying that, you're going to shoo away the young people. And in point of actual fact, it's not true, like those um, Hillsong people. I mean, obviously they're not orthodox, but those Hill, Hillsong, is what they're called? Yeah. They teach that type of stuff, and they've got thousands of people, and I just cannot believe how many young people they've got. And I said to myself, well, how do these young people go and they're taught to abstain in this day and age, and they're actually quite accepting of it, and they're happy to do it? Why is that? And the answer is because a lot of young people don't want to indulge in those things. They actually only do it because it's peer group pressure, because they've got to prove themselves or because that's it, because they think that's the way it is. I mean, the large percentage of people, when I've met people and I say to them, look, you know, you have to abstain from that until marriage. 
They go, really? I go, yeah. They go, oh, I feel so much better because they don't have to go and indulge themselves in something which they don't want to do. And I tell you that, you know, I've taught in co-ed schools, I've taught in boys' schools, and I've taught in girls' schools. And I've taught in one school, I think I've said this before, where it was boys and girls, they were connected with just one common area. So there's, some of, there's a few of them. That one was Liverpool, and there's other schools, East Hills boys, East Hills girls, I think they're, they're connected with a common area. There's a few of them, Moorfield girls and James Cook, I think, they're, they're connected with a common area. Now, you would think to yourself, according to people's mentality, that because the young people, they're so out of it that they would be... Um, that when, it's, when lunchtime or recess comes, that the common area be full. Um, because that's how people believe. Oh, young people, how can you stop them? How can you sit there and say now, in this day and age, to tell young people to abstain? And, you're, and some people would say, oh, what a stupid man, meaning myself. That's okay. And they could say, oh, you're so backward and you've got no understanding and no one's going to listen. You're going to shoo away the people from the church. And I've and I actually had um, uh, opportunities to do what's called playground duty supervision. Anyway, at those areas, uh, how many we had around 700 in one school, maybe 900 girls, 700 boys. But what happened? Recess and lunchtime come, common area overlap. 20 people, 20 people. Where were the boys? They're playing down ball. They're playing basketball. They're playing soccer. They're playing football. You know what they want. That, that's what they want to do. And where are the girls? Sitting around and doing what they're doing. Where's, why not common areas? And there's co-ed schools as well. How much of them mixed together? Hardly any. Why? Because they're not interested. So why force them to be interested in something that they're not interested? There are a few that are, by nature, some people are... Uh, by nature, even from a young age, sexually inclined to those things. A few. But in, in the, the majority, not interested. And that's why a lot of people go, oh, thank you, thanks, God. I never knew that. I don't, I don't want to worry about that and waste my time uh, uh, reading books of how do you talk to someone and how do you smile and how do you eat and how you drink and what you do and who pays what and where you go. These things are unnecessary making people sick and have disturbances. And that is why those people who are pushed into that from peer group pressure, or those who don't know about it and they just got this disturbance from TV, oh, I have to do that because that's what I saw on TV. And that's why a lot of them take drugs and alcohol because they need it to be, to be able to be social. And you see it in adults who also grew up in that way that also do the same. They have to drink or um, take drugs. Now, a lot of it is because they don't know how to act and that the alcohol and, this, and, the, and the drugs helps them to be able to supposedly socialise. But it doesn't do that. It masks the problem. You see, we have what's called development. As a child grows up, he develops he learns to or she learns to deal with their emotions. They're upset. They have to learn to deal with that. And they're happy. They have to learn to channel that. 
They're excited. They have to learn to channel that. They um, get angry with someone. They're jealous. They um, have a competitive spirit. They've got to learn to deal with all these things. As they grow up, with, with, the, with the help of their parents, with their priests, the church, etc., with God's help, they learn to develop with those things. I've met people who were on drugs from, say, some of them, say, 14 to around 20, and some of them times they stop, they change. Some, most of them can't stop, but let's just say some did stop. They come to the church, and you see that these people, even though they've... They, so they took it for six years, but their mental state, their emotional state, depending on how young they were, in this case 14, is around 14. They deal with situations like adolescence because they didn't have a chance because they're stoned continually. They don't have time to develop in any way to deal with themselves, either socially, etc. So that is the truth of the matter. Now, there are some who are being abused at home, some who suffer, uh, and they actually sedate themselves from their anxiety, from their depression, from their problems. There are, there are a few like that. But the majority, it's it is to be accepted by others and also to know how to act with others. It's really dangerous. Now, in my days, the drugs used mostly was marijuana. Today, that's not what's being used. Today, they're using that as well, but they use the heavier stuff. And that stuff is not that the marijuana didn't affect the brain physically to some extent. Even smoking affects the brain physically. But the marijuana uh, affected the person, as I said, emotionally. They became emotionally dependent on it, and it does affect their development and growing up. Ice and all that. That is really, really uh, destruction, as we say. That there is causing damage to people who, you know, we've got people that actually came through the hippie era. You know, they took their, they smoked all that stuff. And even some of them even took trips, um, what do you call it, LS, LSDs and all that, which are all very bad. And they came out of that, and some of them were still able to function in life, those who lived, because a lot of people overdosed as well and died. But they were still able to... These people who are on this stuff, it's very hard for them to ever come out of it. Even if they stop, there's permanent damage. So... And this comes from the fact that people are confused of how to live, and people want answers. And that's why you see those churches, like those Hillsong churches, where, as I said, we don't agree with a lot of their teachings as Orthodox, but they do go on a bit on a moral level, and people, the kids actually like it. They want it. They feel safe. They want to know. And I believe there's Orthodox people who actually want to know as well. Some people don't want to know. That's, that's, that's fair enough. But I'm here for those who want to know. And the biggest reason, as I said, for the drugs and alcohol is especially when meeting the opposite sex. That is a big, big problem. And also wrote here as well that actually um, people don't only have problems dealing with the opposite sex. It's also like it gets to the stage where they can't even deal with their own friends with the same sex. They can't deal with their families. They can't deal at work with their work colleagues. It becomes a very problem. Social anxiety 
etc., is really very, very... It's a disease. Like people actually say it's a disease. And people do suffer with it. But does that mean that there's no answer? Yes, there is with humility in the, in, and in the church. A lot of these things can be got over if we start struggling spiritually. If we don't, and we're going to go to Clio and, and get advice from all these other people... I don't think you're going to really be helped, even if the advice sounds really fantastic. You know, girls, are you shy? Read this. And at the end, you become more shy than what you were. But, you know, that's in the beginning, you think it's fantastic, but it's not. So getting to know the person and finding the special one. So we hear a lot of people like, like they, um, when they're young, they just want to have just ongoing relationships, different things. But some people actually have this thing where they want to get to know someone, someone who will be that special person, and that's on a worldly level. For Orthodox Christians, it's a little bit different. But let's 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 just look at let's look at this anyway. Young people um, tend to believe, and a lot of people tend to believe that you before you marry someone, especially, but even if you don't, even just for a relationship. You have to get to know them. You have to really get close to the person to know that this person's a special, whether you're going to live together for people that aren't in the church. Orthodox Christians don't live together. And for those who want to get married, they think that they have to get to know the person in all areas. Really be intimate with the person to know that that person is the person for them. In our marriage book, for those who didn't come last time, they're welcome to take over there. If that's the case, with so much premarital sex that occurs and people that live together for years and years and years as husband and wife and they're not, one would have thought that they would have been really fantastic relationships. But unfortunately, a lot of them are not. And not only that, when they do get married, they break up very quickly. But one would think, well, if they were already um, had lived together and they know each other and they've tried everything together, why then do they separate? Because the answer is simple. It's not a correct way of thinking. Getting to know a person to that degree is not a sign of success in the future. So... You know, we're going to talk about even prearranged marriages that used to happen in Russia and Greece and things like that in the old days. still occurs in some countries. Whether I agree with that, we'll talk about that later. Now, there are people who say, I want to find someone who hasn't got faults. Some people have got that. They say, oh, I want to find someone who's faultless. You know, some people that are overcritical. And then there's others who just say, I want to find someone that's compatible. And that's why we've got this internet dating and all these things where we've got... Um, common interests. I remember someone who met this woman and they became really, and he became so engrossed in her and I said, well, so what do you see in that person? Well, why? He goes, I want to marry her and I'm like completely berserk. And I said, okay, so what's the thing? He goes, oh, you're not going to believe it. I go, what? She likes curry and so do I. That's that. <laughs> My, I don't know, I just think I had to lie down at that time. And then he said, and we both like gelato ice cream. 
And that is that is a common thing. Now, people might say, and both, we both like fishing, or we both like this, or both like that. Actually, Elder Paisios, which is a great, one of the greatest elders of the last century who died only a few years ago, and there's books, we've got some up the back, but these books have just gone in every language all over the world. Greek's, Greek um, elder, he was a monk. I had the privilege of meeting, and I was helped a lot by him. He actually says that that, that belief is no good to have to marry someone because you've got because you're compatible in 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 interest. He says, for example, if someone's stingy, they marry someone else that's stingy, then that's not good. You need a balance. Because if someone's an angry person and you marry another angry person, it's gonna be like fireworks every day. <laughs> you need the balance. So he actually says, well, you know, uh, an angry person would be good to marry someone that doesn't get angry, because that person, that, a person that's got anxiety, like say a woman's got, is a very anxious person, very insecure person, the husband's not, and that husband helps uh, compliment her. He says, now come down, come down, you know, that, that, that's good. But then he might have a problem, he might be a, um, say for, for children, some husbands, for example, are really strict, they bring up their children like really, really strict. And then the woman might not be as strict. Sometimes they, they overdo it where they're, where they're not strict at all. But let's just say, at least there's a balance. There's a balance. Even we have great leaders of the world, kings and people like that, and presidents. They, um, Ronald Reagan, for example, they say he was one of the greatest presidents in America. He actually said that his wife complimented him. Like they were together and she would help him just by her presence and her calming effect. Women can be very calming towards their husbands, but if they both ignite easily, that's no good. So where Father Paisos is saying, Elder Paisos is saying there, is that this mentality that you have to have the person to be compatible in every way is actually no good. Like, for, as I said before, if someone's tight with money and the wife's tight with money, I've met people like that, they um, don't even spend money on their children. All they want to do is save, 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 like to become obsessed with saving. I, I knew an example of someone who actually was so tight with money that he let his children get hungry a bit because he didn't, he didn't, he was obsessed with saving everything. And if the woman's a bit looser with the money, they go, hey, what, no, that's, that doesn't matter, we can spend a bit there. Yeah, balance. So these internet datings and all these type of things that happen now, um, they don't have the correct thing. Oh, I know some people that met on internet dating and then they got married and they're really happy. Well, I know some people, I've heard that there's some people that have jumped off um, the Harbour Bridge and some lived. Some lived. You know, somehow the way they jump, somehow they just live or off that Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And some lived. Now, if you want to take the chance, you jump off and see whether you will live. That's like gambling. Some things, there's some exceptions that have occurred. It doesn't mean because there's exceptions that we're gonna take it as a rule. As a rule, those things aren't good. So we say there's chat rooms, internet dating, people go to bars, people go to parties, all these different types of ways of meeting people. Oh, and plus the other thing, which is really good that I mentioned that book, he said that to try and find someone who's like very similar to us is impossible because everyone's different, really, when you look at it. And they even says that identical twins, 
identical twins are not even the same in character. So to have this mentality go, I'm going to find someone who's like me, really is not, is not a very good, it's not, it's not a good basis. So, when one is choosing a spouse, obviously, from what I've already said, and I'm going to say much more, we have to be very, very careful. We can't just trust our hearts. We can't just trust our emotions. When people become engulfed in someone and go, oh, I love that person, I feel that person. We have to have some logic. That's what's called in the real estate, in the real estate world, it's called heart buyers. People that walk into, I remember once someone said to me, he went into a house, they were looking for a house. And um, he goes, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this house. I go, why? He goes, oh, they've got this pagola at the back. And I can, you know, the children complain. It's really beautiful. We go have barbecues, a pagola. I go, but how about the area? How about the price? But the pagola, the pagola. And I said to him, um, I'm sorry, but you can construct the pagola for $2,000. Why do you have to buy that house? That's what's called a person who just lost it and goes on emotions. People do that with their relationships too. They just go on their emotions and their feelings. That's dangerous. So, which is the better way to marriage? Dating, trying to acquire a love affair, have a, like a real love affair with someone, or cautiously waiting to meet that special person which we call the soulmate, someone who God has for you. So let's look at dating. Most people date, well, as we said before, is because they think that that's the way that you meet people. And I will show as time goes on, as, as, as I'll go I'll make a few more points, that dating actually causes a lot of problems, believe it or not. So I've already touched on that. Some surveys have taken place with, with young people and they say that they want to date because they want to get practice of when they do meet the special person in the future. Some people say that. Some people say they want to date because everyone else dates. There's a lot of reasons why, but the point is, is it useful? Quite a few years ago, dating didn't really exist. Dating came more around the time when the automobile came about, where uh, people could go in, um, and use cars, etc., and they used to go out in their uh, cars. But that really, in the olden days, a lot of times that dating did not exist. It's a lot of a modern thing. If someone has this thing that dating's okay and I can date people even if I'm not going to marry them, then that justifies the fact that they can date people that are non-Orthodox, they can date Muslims, they can date Jews, they can date atheists, it doesn't matter, they can date whoever they want because they're not going to marry that person. Some people say, oh, I'm going to marry an Orthodox person, but meanwhile I'm just going to go out, have fun, and, um, because I'm not going to marry the person. How many people I've met, and it's quite, and there's a lot written on it, that have actually been damaged from dating? 
and you say, well, that sounds too much. It may, it may sound too much to people who don't actually have time to think, especially people that have been rejected after dates, people who, as I said before, become over-anxious during the date before and during, they become quite distressed. People that lost their virginity for, for nothing, and they regret it, especially women who are more sensitive. Men tend to be quite insensitive, but women are more sensitive, and you might say, well, we live in a time now that those things don't matter, but yet, yes, that's true, but women, young girls and women still have that, even though they've been brainwashed from young to believe it doesn't matter, they still feel from within them that they gave away something that's precious and a lot of the uh, males, they might not think of it when they're young, but later on when they get older, especially if they come to the church, realise that they've made mistakes too. And especially if there's a pregnancies and all these type of things. There's uh, one priest I remember, he said, people would say, oh, you're not in reality if you actually go around and say to people that they shouldn't date, you're not in reality. But the point is, I think that I am in a reality because 95% or more of these dating things end up in premarital sexual relations and a lot of them end up with diseases, pregnancies, etc. as we said before. That comes as a result of that. And it's a high percentage. So therefore, I think that that's a reality. And that's right, you can't say, oh, you're not realistic. I am realistic because that's the facts. And the church has teachings on, on um, a whole great amount of teaching on protecting oneself, one's purity. And it was always and should be a special thing for someone to protect their purity while they're single and before they're married. But it's maybe not much now. But there are people who do do it. And you know what? They're happier. And you might say, oh, no, the others are happy too. They act happy. They act happy. And a lot of the depressions and a lot of problems that occur come from that, from, from breaking God's law. Because God is who made us. And if he made us, he knows what is for us, how we should live. He knows exactly. He made us, he gave us our souls, and he and only he knows what is the best for us. And he's made it quite clear that, that sex is okay in marriage, and only in marriage. And that's it. There's always repentance for those who didn't know, or those who lost themselves. God always forgives, but uh, the effect of it can be, you know, you can repent and you can go and confess, etc., etc., but you know, a lot of people, it still burdens them. It's, it, it is, it, it is um, they say, it's a sin against the Holy Spirit because your body is the temple of God. And remember that out of all the sins that Christ, that, is a, that gives us permission to divorce only one adultery that Christ actually said, that a man leaves his parents and the wife, they become one flesh. 
and what, what God has joined should never be torn apart. Only for one condition, adultery. So just think of it that God allows a husband and wife, which he has as the, one of the ultimate things for a man and woman to be joined in marriage. And to say only that sin is the, the main one, that, the one that he said. Later on, the church has made a few more, like if your husband or wife's mentally, mentally ill, lost, like has gone insane. There's other things which the Russian church has actually got a few lists. I'm sure the Greek church has too. But let's just say that one is what Christ himself said. Now, that shows you how serious it is. Another disadvantage of dating, and especially if there's a fall that's occurred, is that, uh, and this happens in a lot of couples, whereby there's this paranoia that they're being compared to previous partners, and, you know, that causes a lot of, there's not, doesn't create harmony in a marriage. Husband and wife might say, but I've repented, I've confessed. That's true. But a lot of times especially if the other person knows, there's just this comparing and comparing, and sometimes people actually, they're so traumatised from previous relationships. Say a guy met a girl and then they were together for a few years, which usually are just drawn out horrible relationships. Let's just say, anyway, they've been together for two years and they've, and they've really suffered from fighting and, and she might be possessive or he's possessive. In general, they're horrible relationships. And... They're traumatised, and when they get married, he might look at his wife and think that that's her, and that happens too. And then he starts to attack her, and then the woman says, excuse me, what, 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 what are you saying? And then the guy, if he even realises, is thinking that he thinks that that's his, one of his previous partners. So all these things do occur, especially when you get married again. Second, and, second marriage, and all that, that is a big problem. That's why a lot of people say that, you know, second marriages really have a high probability of failure. And the church does not like them. It approves of them out of, out of necessity, but it still considers it to be a sin. And that's why the second marriage service is like very much about repentance and God forgive them and all that, which I'll go into into the next talk more. I want to go into that. But anyway, so... And we've gone through some of the effects of dating. We said unwanted pregnancies, abortions, depression, trauma, STDs, you know, um, AIDS is a, big, is a big problem. I think it's time for the break. And we'll go on with the, um, the list on that. We'll have about a 10 minute break and then we will resume. Just someone reminded me that, um, just to, to prove the point, what I was trying to say before about um, that we shouldn't believe that if you tell young people to abstain and things like that, that they're going to become hostile against the church, etc. And even that's not a, a very good example because of the vainglory involved, but even the guy, Sebastian Fellow, who actually proclaimed to the world of his waiting um, for marriage, um, etc., it's just funny that his record sales didn't actually decrease and that people were quite accepted. I mean, some people might have made fun of him, but in general, his fan base didn't seem to decrease. And what I'm trying to say there is that I think 
from the programs which exist today of abstinence and even him and others like him and other churches, etc., who actually preach these type of things. It's, I think it's showing that uh, it is a welcome, a welcome um, thing to a lot of young people. When going out on a date, Another wrong thing about it is that you never know what the, what's the person's motivation in asking you out. Is it just uh, to use you, to um, manipulate you emotionally, to use you to for physical reasons, for sexual reasons? Is he or she using you to show off to their friends? Are they going to go and say things about you later on which aren't even true, exaggerate things? And these people, a lot of people have been damaged from that and they form really negative uh, attitudes towards relationships after they've been, they've gone through those type of things. Some people just want to take you out because, as I said, for um, selfish reasons, to prove a point, to practice, to lie to you or whatever reason. Most of them, of course, we know the reason, but... All these things you might say, oh, well, that's part of life, but it's not because a lot of people have been damaged. And that's why a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists have a lot of business from people who have come out of those type of relationships. And it also, it's been shown that people who have had a, a long, uh, sorry, a history of relationships, short term, long term, doesn't matter, of a, a number of them, turn out to be not very successful in later on when they do finally get married because they're used to it. See, you've got one person, you don't like something about them, you leave because you're not committed, you've got no responsibility. You're not married, you leave. Then you go to the next person and then you leave and then you go to the next person and then you leave. So what happens is when you finally get married, because you've conditioned yourself in that way, you kind of just say, I'm leaving. So a lot of divorces actually occur because of this business of the dating and finding someone, rejecting them, finding someone else, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't like that. So that's another point of negative. It does not really, uh, it doesn't, it's not positive towards establishing a marriage. Very important that. 50% divorce rate just about, I think, now, and that's, and that's the ones who are formally married. How about the ones that are just living together? But anyway, even the ones that are just formally married, whether secular or in the churches or whatever, including Orthodox, 50% is quite high. And, and even the ones that stay together, a lot of them are participating in extramarital affairs anyway. And only a few actually are even keeping themselves proper. Why? Oh, I don't like my wife anymore. I'll find someone. I don't like my husband anymore. I'll find someone else. Even while you're still married. As I said before, those long drawn out relationships where people are together, a lot of it's based on jealousy. Now, a lot of people that are actually, I read this even in a Protestant source, which is quite good in the actual, I read it later on in an Orthodox source as well, where it says that people when they're young shouldn't waste their time with that. They're young, they should be doing things like developing in their, uh, with their uh, family, with their friends. There's no reason why you can't have friends that are the, of the opposite sex, but it's this where it's this intimate thing that people want to do, which is the wrong thing. But develop, 
you know, struggle in the church because later on when you get married, a lot of times people find that they're with the children that they can't even do much. Study if you want to study. Develop in your job. Um, You know, go out with your friends and do other things which are of use, especially leading a spiritual life. People don't do a lot of that. They just say, I'm going to, I will develop when I form a relationship. But you don't. And this is uh, a, a really big part. I've, I've seen people where they, like, the guy might be with someone and the girl's very possessive and she doesn't want him to even have friends. So he's not even allowed to have even male friends. And he's suffering there. Or she's suffering because he's jealous, possessive. A lot of those relationships become very emotional. Sick, in other words. Well, basically, they all are. Like, a lot of them are very sick relationships, continual fighting, trauma, and and things like that. And they even get married later as well. Okay, when someone finds someone that they're attracted to, they don't, as I said before, they don't use their logic. It's like you fall in love, if we can use that word, but you're attracted to someone, and you don't use your brain, but you just go according to your heart and your feelings and your emotions and your and things like that. That is not right. It's not even. It's not logical. It's not even proper. But even when you're going to buy a house, as I said before, you've got to check it out. Make sure, you know, people check out. You've got to check out whether there's water pipes going through to work out whether the water board has the right to dig your house, to knock down half of your house at the back to get access to a certain pipe that's going through, or whether the Department of Main Roads has a right to take away half of your backyard. And they've got to do all these checks. So you've got to check for that. And people want to say, I'm going to do investments. And they've got to check, make sure that what they're doing is correct. People do that. Even when you're buying a car, is that a good car? Let's read a magazine. Let's go on the internet. Let's look at some um, write-ups. People that buy a computer, I might buy a uh, Toshiba or something. So they go on the internet and look at some reviews. Good. There's nothing wrong with that. People do that. But they don't do it when they're going to choose someone to marry. This is really, really uh, bad. And we're going to show you um, the attitude of um, people of the old days and, and Christians who really f- believe how, what their attitude is towards marriage. And see, it's not like that. There's a, a lot of people say, oh, before I got married, I was infatuated with my guy, with the girl. And later on, when I got married... I feel like I'm living with the devil themselves. You know, like that's how much it changed. What happened? They said, oh, we're in love. We got married. Or I was in, like, really, I just wanted to be with that person or whatever, whatever, whatever. And later on, they make statements like, um, maybe it would be better to be married to the devil, which is really bad to say. But that's, I'm trying to say how bad the relationship can become. Why? Why beforehand, a lot of times it might be all right, even though there's all those sick relationships, it might be a bit of fun showing off, going out, everyone looks at you, um, gives you a chance to practice, gives you a chance to lie and everything else that people do, read all the books, making sure you know what to say and what to do and all that. And why is it later on that when you get married that things change? Because when you're married, there's what's called responsibility, there's commitment. When you're single and you're with someone, you're not committed, so you can just say goodbye. When you're married, you're a bit more committed. And when you have children, it's even worse. Then you've got to take care of the children. You've got loans. 
You've got a lot of responsibility, and that's what's called pressure, and a lot of young people today really cannot cope with pressure. And this is uh, not good. A lot of people that I've seen that got married, it doesn't take long, especially when the first child comes, for it to actually deteriorate considerably where they cannot cope because they cannot cope with pressure. They're not used to it. Going out to a drive-in or going out, out or going for a ferry ride or going to the beach or going to a disco or going here or going there is not really um, a commitment. There's no responsibility apart from the anxiety that most people get, but they take drugs and, and drink to get, out, to get over that problem. Um, but later on, when they get married, that's when the pressure begins and they can't cope. That is not very good. People have very different criteria, like, for example, young girls. You go to, uh, you know, concerts, or just in general. Young girls become, um, um, they, you know, when you see them on those um, idol shows and other shows and other concerts, when they just scream and scream and scream, when the, one of the contestants is good-looking, etc. Guys don't do that. They do other things. But the girls do that, and they're moaning, groaning, screaming, shouting, this and that. Those girls, when they grow up, they will pretty much use the same criteria, what their heart jumps for. So they see someone, know nothing about him. They like they know nothing about the people that they see on TV or in those concerts, know nothing about them, and they, just, they have posters all over their room, and they love them, and this and that. That type of mentality they carry on when they grow up. So they just meet someone who they feel that's this, their hearts are throbbing for, and they marry them. But after that, they say, oh, no, this is not right. Something's not right. This person's not who I thought it was. Did you ever take the time to even study who the person is? And in the case of the, of the males, they don't do that. They just... Uh, surf the internet into inappropriate sites, etc., even though girls are doing that too. That is no good as well because their whole basis of the opposite sex is based on what they see on those type of sites. That's not a basis for marriage, which, by the way, even when they get married, they continue to do. And that's why there's a lot of problems today in marriages with pornography, especially on the internet, which is a cause of a lot of breakdowns in marriages, because that's what they did when they were young. If they did what the church says, which is don't do those things, and if the girls did what the church says, which is don't act like that, then, then they would be in a better position later on to have a brain to be able to choose someone who would be appropriate for their marriage. Think about things. You don't even buy a car without getting it checked, unless you're dopey. But if, you're, if, if you actually got a mind, you would actually get the car checked. And you get, um, what do you call this, NRMA checks and other things that people do. Get a roadworthy test, even to see. I've, I've heard lately that they've got some cars that half of it is from Queensland, the other half's from Melbourne. They've put together, melded together, and there's the car, and they don't even know that they're driving around with a half-half. <laughs> Because they didn't, get, they didn't bother to actually get it checked out where someone with experience would look and see that there's a well mark there, right around. <laughs> so this madly head over heels and being in love is not what Orthodox Christians do. If you want to do it, you can do it. I think I've said it quite a lot tonight, which shows that there is something wrong there. That's if you want to hear. 
Um, now, some people, because they see it on TV, they want to experience physical and emotional, yeah, the, the physical and emotional aspects of a relationship outside of marriage. Something which is an intimate thing, which is reserved for marriage, where God blesses. So they want to actually have a physical relationship with someone without being married and the emotional part of things. And what happens there is that there's no commitment and there's no responsibility. And as St. Paul says, the woman's body is not hers, but it's the husband's. And the husband's body is not his, but it's her body. It belongs to her, to the woman. It's saying that that is a special thing of this uh, marital relationships. But why should you give your body to someone who doesn't even have any care about you, even if they say, I love you and all these magic words, which is full of lies a lot of times. I mean, they just met you and they already love you. I don't know how they get that love so quickly, which they already said to someone else before. Or they have to know when to say it, in what way to say it, from the books that they read, because they wouldn't even know any otherwise how to do it. I also read that teenagers that dated less when were more successful in careers. wonder why. So teenagers that didn't involve themselves in that, in that whole kerfuffle of things, they actually are more successful in career, and I would say they're more successful in life as well, because they're not preoccupied and becoming ill from that whole thing and wasting their time. Imagine a young guy who, or a young couple, let's just say 16 or 17, and they're having a relationship for four years and later on they break up, which they usually do. And then, they, and then they've spent that four years together, for four years. They didn't even have other friends. They didn't hardly do anything else. They didn't go anywhere else. It was just continual, continual, continual together and fighting and trying to deal with things. I mean, look, these kids, I mean, she was probably, she still got her Barbie doll in her drawer at home. I mean, she just stopped playing with it a few years ago and all of a sudden she's the having a relationship and him, he's probably still got a bottle of Batman or something that he used to play with a couple of years before and all of a sudden they're going together. And that is just showing you the stupidity of little kids trying to do what is meant for adults within the marriage. These people are saying, oh, we've got a relationship, but they can't even relate to their parents. They can't even relate to their siblings, meaning their brothers or sisters or whatever. They can't relate to anyone. They can't even, a lot of times they can't even keep a job because they don't know how to relate. But they're going together, having a relationship. What kind of relationship is that? And this is the problem. And don't say just 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 30. Why do you think people are not getting married at an older age now? Because they're not, a lot of them are not mature. In, in, and, they have to, and, they, and that's why a lot of people get married at 40, when they finally maybe have some type of brain and saying, oh, now I know what I want in life, etc. So we, this is what the church teaches and this is what even other people say. Don't date, don't, com- don't do those type of things until you are ready to get married. And even though it sounds very, very harsh, um, that is the best thing. And people that have actually have done that, when I was in Greece, 
Um, I met over there because the priests, like oh, Greece has got churches everywhere, monasteries everywhere. They've got a lot of holy elders there. And they've got a, I, I met a lot of young people, even 20, 21, 22, 23 young, who actually uh, keep themselves pure and no, no, well, don't worry about this stuff. They've got their friends. They go to church. They, you know, like they do um, their spiritual life. They are trying to get closer to God. And they know, because the holy elders have told them, basically, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all the rest will come. Do your spiritual life. And then God will do all the rest. Don't force. Don't go and don't try and do all these things that don't make any sense. So unless you are ready to commit to a marriage, to commit to a, a relationship as a husband and wife, then don't seek those things because you're just going to get burnt. Unless a man is prepared to ask a woman to be his wife, what right has he to own her, to have this exclusive attention to say you're only going to have me. What right do they have? And where's the love there? The love shows with the commitment. It shows with the responsibility. And they love you, I love you, I love you, and then suddenly the person gets accidentally pregnant and the person runs away or forces the person to have an abortion. That's not love. And especially when a lot of women who do have abortions later on regret it bitterly and are very much affected. So people want intimacy with no obligation. People want sexual relations with no strings attached. And that's what youth, the youth are doing, and that's what older people do as they grow up more. That's not the way to go. That's not what God wants. If you want to follow God, if you want to follow, if you want salvation, don't put yourself in those situations, right? Don't put methylated spirits and fire together. Don't put petrol and fire together because it will blow up. It's the same, male, female together in, uh, in, in, in situations which are compromising will end up to be an explosion and that explosion cannot come out to good results. It's part of nature. That's why Christ even went on and says, whoever lusts for someone has already committed adultery within their minds, so in their hearts. So there is a whole teaching about preserving your virginity and that's why when you go to marriage, you get the crowns. There's a couple of reasons. There's a lot of symbolism towards the crowns. One of them is you made it. You have come to this great moment as pure and in virginity. And, you know, that's where people, what should, people should aim at. And parents should be encouraging that. I think St. Gregory the Theologian, St. John Christopher, I forgot which one, he said, if, a, if parents didn't do that, if they didn't come to the marriage pure because they fell accidentally or whatever other reasons, is then promote it in your children so God can forgive you. So, if you're going to start getting close to someone, it says it should be linked to an engagement. In other words, that I like that person, I'm interested in that person to get married, and what you do is you start what's called, it's an old-fashioned word, it's called courtship, courting. It's a word that the, the, that the people, that the, the man would go meet the girl, speak, find out, the parents would speak to each other, the parents would find out about that girl, their parents find out about that guy, find out what their background is to, to see, is this person appropriate? In other words, is the person that's going to become one flesh with you? Is this person the person that you want? Just imagine, it's not two people, 
But the two become one flesh in this mysterious way, a big, like a mystery of the church. And therefore, wouldn't you want to know who this person is? What's going on? Is this person appropriate? In the old days, they used to have what's called arranged marriages. Um, I've seen some of them when I went to Greece when I was younger, about 16, I think I was. Went to the village and I saw some of those type of things. They were really into it in those days. And you might say, oh, that's really bad and this, that. But, you know, a lot of those marriages worked and they had a very high success rate. But never do, is someone obliged to marry someone that they don't want. Now, that did happen. That's wrong. That's against church. That's why the priest says in the marriage ceremony, do you want to marry this person? Then he asks the woman, do you want? If they say no, the priest must not go on with the marriage. So all these, there are these what's called safety mechanisms, but in those days they used to do that. And they used to really check out. They wanted to know who this person is. Is he a gambler? Is he alcoholic? Does he go to... Uh, prostitutes, sorry for the expression, does he do this, does he do that, does she do this, how is she, what's going on? You know, they were into that. In the Eastern, some of these Eastern countries like India and all that, they still do a lot of that. Actually, because of the problem in the Western world whereby a lot of um, people are going to 35, 40 years old and not married, they actually got this show to show you like like um, the... the, the, um, the problem in the Western world with... Um, they rejected all these things about... I don't want anyone to get involved in my marriage. That's okay. Well, no one did, and you made a mess of it, but that's another point. But there's a, there's a show, actually, which actually is called Arranged Marriages, where they... Um, it's just a silly show, but the point is that where people in the West allow someone who comes from the East, like, say, might be Indian or whatever, those countries who are into that, and to show them that, you know, get the family involved to help the family to find someone for that woman or for that man and get involved in that particular thing. So it's just showing that where the West rejected it completely, they're, they're starting to see, well, maybe there's a point to it. Um, one part in Greece, which is a region in Greece, which is called Florina, which is northern Greece, it says that there was not one divorce recorded for 100 years. Now, people might say, yes, but those was because they were repressed. And some of them were repressed. Yes, they didn't. They, some of them couldn't escape from their marriages. That, that's true. But in general, high, like a really high percentage of those marriages were successful compared to today. So if you want to look at success rates, um, and this is, the, this, is the, this is how the people used to think. Only the shovel of the grave digger will separate the couple. That's how people believe. They go, only death will separate us. They had a mentality, when I get married, I'm going to stay with that person, and the only one who's going to separate us will be death, which really, in the, obviously, you're still, you're still in union with the person after death, but physically separated will be the shovel. So let's look at some of the things they used to say. They used to say things like, the person I'm taking as my spouse is the one and only... Now, if you know that, if you have that attitude, I think then you will be very, very careful who you choose. The person that I'm going to marry is going to be the one and only. Later on, I'll tell you that a lot of people say, if it doesn't work, I get divorced. So you're already going into a marriage where you're already thinking, well, if it doesn't work, I'm going to get divorced. People don't think like that. Orthodox don't think, shouldn't think like that, even though some do. 
And God does not want that. Who you marry is the person who you will want, who you be with for the rest of your life. Of course, there are exceptions, which we'll talk about in the next talk about divorces and all that. Whatever happens in this life, this person will be my spouse. Whatever happens, better or for worse, this person's for me, and I'm going to stay with that person. When I marry this person, we'll be together for the rest of our lives. And as I said before, only death will separate us. In other words, they really did not have in their mind the idea of divorce. Now, as I said, some of you might think, well, some of them suffered, some of them were abused uh, because they never had the, the opportunity to have a divorce. And that's true. Some of them didn't. But in general, they didn't even want it because they understood they had a, a, an awe, they had an understanding of God's commandments. And if the person was difficult, as I'll explain in the next talk, then they would try to endure and pray for that person who was a difficult spouse. Not just say they're difficult, I'm leaving. That's why God sometimes allows difficult spouses to exercise us in virtue, to pray, endure, be nice to them, try and bring them around, which doesn't hardly exist anymore because now willy-nilly, you just leave. A proverb says, before you marry, keep your eyes wide open. What does that mean? When you're going to marry someone, your eyes should be really wide open, looking at everything about that person. Then after you're married, it's in that book, then you can have your eyes half closed. In other words, you're going to notice things. Close your eyes sometimes and just pretend it's not happening. But what happens now these days is the opposite. People, when they meet someone... It's like they've got some eye disease and they can barely see the person and then they marry them, suddenly their eyes opened up like those horror movies and then they all of a sudden notice that they've married the most atrocious person that exists. Before you get married, eyes wide open. After you get married, you have to shut up, you have to lock it up. You can't keep on saying, oh, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that, you've done that. Once you're married, you're married. Work on it after that. Where you've got the right to examine is before you get married. Unheard of today, people don't, don't look at that because today it's love. And as long as you've got love and as long as your person says to you, I love you, and you say, I love you, whatever you've read in the books that tell you how to say it, that's the most important thing. Then it says here that in the Old Testament, there's actually a thing there which says, I would rather dwell with a lion and a dragon than to keep a house with a wicked woman. That's uh, uh, in one of the uh, part of the Old Testament. And the same with a man, but this, this is in reference to a woman. I'd rather live with a lion or a dragon rather than live with a person who's completely out of it. You've got to look at these things beforehand. And the Russian proverb I really, really liked. If you're going to travel, pray once. If you're going to war, pray twice. And if you're going to get married, pray three times. So in other words, more prayer is needed for who you're going to marry rather than one, if you're going to go travelling, which can be dangerous, or if you're going to even go to war, which is really dangerous, but even more dangerous than that is if you marry the wrong person. Pray three times. In other words, pray a lot. People believe that happiness is automatic, that it's automatic. In other words, they believe that 
they're happy before they get married, they're having a relationship when they get married, that, that happiness will continue. It doesn't. Or they're compatible sexually before they're married and therefore it will continue later on. It doesn't. Actually, St. John Chrysostom says that that whole thing of the sexual aspect of marriage dies out, he says, after a few months. And all of a sudden you're left with the person. Maybe a couple of years at most. It dies out. People think that that's the most important. That's not the most important thing that I've noticed. I'll tell you what I've noticed. People saying to me, a woman saying to me, he doesn't even take out the garbage bin. You know, things like that. Like he's just so lazy. Or the other person says, you know, she doesn't even take care of the children. She doesn't even feed the children. Or, 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 or all these things. And then later on they might talk about the other stuff, the physical part. That's really not much. Even though the media go on and on and on and on and on about that, about that. But really, it's, a lot of it's to do with just basic responsibilities. Obviously, he's not going to take out the garbage, because when he was at home, if he never took out the garbage, never really helped, he's not going to do it when you get married. It's very rare. And if she used to just stay in bed until 11, 12 o'clock after partying, and then her mother used to wash her clothes and her underwear and all that. I mean, she's not going to do... She's not going to really change much after... There are exceptions, but in general, how they are before they're married, even in that, in that leaflet over there which you'll get, how they are before they get married is how they are after they get married. Check out the person. How are they? All you do is go to the house and see. Do they respect the parents? Do they talk down at parents? They talk down at, at their parents? They'll talk down to your parents. They have no respect for others. They won't have respect for you later on. Do they care about the elderly? No, they're not going to care about the elderly of your if your parents get sick or something. Do they care about people that have got disabilities? No, if they don't care about people with disabilities, they don't even have any compassion towards them. If something happens to you and you become disabled, they'll run. So these are the things you'll look at. Love develops as time goes on within the marriage. Relationships uh, uh, become closer and the people become really bonded and develop as they go on in life, not having gelatos and going out to restaurants and going to the cinema and going to the beach and, you know playing on the swings as if, like, as you saw on a movie. Those things are really trivial, stupid, ridiculous and quite worthless. Sorry for being abrupt. Love develops as time goes on. You know, in your, you've got a financial difficulty, the couple stick together. Someone has a problem, a health problem, the couple stick together. Problem with the children, the couple stick together. All that together, together, together makes this couple develop and fall more and more in love. Not that you're going to have love. I always tell people when they come to me and they go, we're going to get married. I go, do you love each other? They go, yes. I say, you don't love each other. He goes, no, we do. I go, I tell you that when you get married, you will begin to fight a lot. They go, no, no, we don't. And I, a couple came to me once at another talk I did, and they were going to get married, and I said, you've got to be careful because you could even hate each other. No, we're really open. We talk to each other, this and that. And I met the fellow later on. 
He was married for a few months and he goes, oh, sometimes she hates me, sometimes I hate her, etc. I go, well, I told you that. He goes, did you? I don't remember. Because people are mesmerised. They think that, that it's just love beforehand. It's not. There is an attraction. There is a, obviously, something there, but that develops with time within the marriage. Don't think of it as being beforehand because that's where they go, oh, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore. But you never did. Oh, I don't love you like I did before I got married or in the first years of our lives. But you never did. That wasn't true love. True love comes with experience. True love comes with suffering, with pain, children, etc. all these things, commitment, responsibility, caring. And St. Paul says, you know, like, you, you know, when you get married, you'll have pain, suffering, your life, will be like a, your, your life will be like you're carrying a cross continually. But that cross will give you flowers, beautiful flowers, and there will be fruits which people will feel within the marriage as time goes on. So get rid of that mentality that the love or the infatuation or the obsession that you've got before will last within the marriage. It doesn't last. It has to be built on. And uh, one of the fathers say, only those who suffer can really love. And we'll talk about that in the next talk. So, what did the saints look, what do the, what do the Holy Fathers say when you're looking for a spouse? Look for a virtuous spouse. A virtuous spouse. Not a spouse which is, uh, as I said before, um, um, what do you call that thing? Outgoing or handsome or good looking or, or all those type of things. That's not what you look for. You look for virtue. You look for the heart. You look for the person. I remember this person who said to me, um, as he was growing up, he, he was um, more, he used to look at uh, women as um, objects and, and, and uh, you know, from TVs and things like images and all that type of stuff. And that person... Because of, because of his faith in the church, he rejected that. And he says, I'm not going to look for that. And he found this girl who was very, very simple, wasn't very good looking, and, but he, he, and he prayed a lot, and he felt that was the person. But it was completely opposite to the way that he thought women should be, in the sense of looks at least, etc. But he married her and turned out that, that, that he became happy because that person had virtues, takes care of the children, was patient, cared, etc., etc. So what if you marry someone that looks like a movie star and at the end um, sits around and does her nails all day and has no care for the house? Or a guy who does weights all day and doesn't even care or goes out with his friends and the Holy Father, as you say, if we fail in our marriage, we failed in our spiritual life. The indication of a successful marriage is, is that we have actually succeeded in our spiritual life. A marriage is connected to spiritual life. If you want to get married and not do spiritual life, it's up to you, not going to work. Spiritual life and marriage go together. A lot of people don't have it together, and that's why there's a lot of problems. This is what someone, uh, this is what I found that someone says that um, what someone who wanted to get married to someone, it's written in that book, this is what he said to the spouse, where he or she, whatever, goes, probably the man. 
He goes, this is who I am. I'm me. I'm no angel. I'm a person with weaknesses. Do you agree to live with me for the rest of your life? Will you put up with me during difficult times? Um, will you be by my side no matter what takes place? Are you in favour of a family? People don't even think of, don't even ask that question. Do you want to have children with me? Are you determined to lead a Christian life together? These are the questions people ask the other person. Like when you go for job interviews, they go through questions. I remember when I went, when I was around 21, when I first graduated and I went to a, uh, some posh school. I mean, as if I'll get in, but I, obviously my fantasy, I went there to um, have an interview and they're asking me some questions like, what's your philosophy of education and what would you do for this? And I was sat there like Bozo the Clown, didn't even know what, to, didn't even know what to say because I wasn't mature, I didn't understand. I just, just, just came out of, of um, college, didn't know anything. So, but the point is they've got a right to do that. And when they saw that I'll be better off in a circus, they just said, no, we're not, we don't want you, um, don't worry about it, just, that's okay. Because I was just sat there with my mouth up, I didn't know. As time went on, I, I learned a lot and I understand what my philosophy of education is and what I would do in certain situations. They'd ask me questions, what would you do if a kid said this to you? What would you do if a kid told you off? What would you do if a kid ran out or a kid had an epileptic fit? What would you do? What would you do? And I just said, I didn't know. And that's what people go for interviews. One person went for a nursing interview and she said to me that they asked her all these questions. All jobs. How do you get on with your, with your colleagues? What would you do in this? How would you do work that? Etc. They want to know everything. They want to see your references. They want to say, but yet for marriage, no questions. Just to shut eyes and be infatuated, obsessed, and marry the person without really knowing much about it, as long as they're cool or as long as they're whatever. I don't know. It's um, not really uh, very good. Oh, any questions? Anyone would like to ask any? I am abrupt, and I'm doing it on purpose. Sometimes I like to make a, put a point across, and sometimes I, it does hurt a bit, but that's a technique. You know, like I remember when I was at Teachers College when, someone would, uh, uh, when some lecturer would come out and would come and stand on the table with an umbrella so that he can get the attention of people and make people be interested of why the person thinks he's Mary Poppins on the table. That's what he does. And that's what's called teaching techniques. Well, the same thing here. You have, sometimes I'm abrupt on purpose to make the person react. Yes. Okay, I just want to ask you what you um, Okay, so if we're to be uh, critical uh, of the aspects or, and uh, spiritual. So, You're going to find someone with faults, but there are some, some things which are serious and we shouldn't ignore it. And people that do ignore it, at the end, have a problem. For example, in that sheet that you, that, that you begin in, there's a whole um, list of what this spiritual father is from Manathos. He was saying, be careful of certain things. For example, he says, if a person is obsessed with his parents or her parents, and they listen to the parents continue, like it's just really unnatural, that is going to cause a problem. And I know from experience that that will cause a problem. If you want to still 
not you, but in general, if people want to still marry a person like that, they're free to do that. But they have to realise that that will affect the marriage because I've met people that actually have their parents above their spouse, confide everything to their parents, don't even tell their spouse anything, listen to their parents, don't involve that. Like I know a couple that they went to go and look for furniture for the wedding and um, the parents had to come to get to, you know, to give the approval and things like that or what house they're going to buy and financials and everything and how many children you're going to have. There are what's called secondary things, which is an example of here where someone went to an elder and there was a, like a matchmaking type of thing and the guy had glasses and then he goes, so she goes, I didn't want to marry him because he's got glasses and the elder says, you better watch out because you might marry someone who will bring you someone else with glasses. And later on, she rejected the guy because he had glasses, even though he was a good fellow. He married, she married someone else that didn't have glasses. And later on, they had children, she had a child which was basically partially blind and had to wear glasses from young. That's in one of the books, which are at the back. So that's, he says that's secondary. There's secondary matters and there's really important matters that we should look at. Overall, which I'm going to come to soon, is prayer to God to enlighten us. Because even if we think we know someone, there could be something hidden that you don't know. When a person gets, gets rid of their will and prays to God and says, you know, and this is where living a spiritual life as a single person is important. You don't just go... Uh, uh, like live a, just a really stupid life when you're young and as you grow up and then all of a sudden you're going to say, now I'm going to become serious because I'm going to get married. doesn't work. You haven't got any, like, um, training. Like, you know, you don't go over to war without having training. Like the people that go to Iraq or whatever, they have, they're trained. You don't just take them like that. It's the same. Married life is really difficult. It is very, very difficult life. And if the people have not led a spiritual life beforehand as single people, that's why it's important, a single life, not just going around yahooing and having, but leading a serious spiritual life, learning to pray, learning in your everyday life to look for God's will. Could be anything. Could be what should you study, asking God to help you with your relationship with your family, with other people, all the time praying and getting used to discerning what is God's will, for God to show you his will. Then, when it comes time to get married and you start doing that, which you've already done for years as a single person, it won't be hard. If you've never done that before and all of a sudden you're praying when you're just about ready to supposedly to get married, it shouldn't be done. Another thing as well is that people have a lot of faults, as we said before. Some people have fallen, but they've repented. Some people have got certain faults, but... In the spiritual life, as single people, they learn to get over those things. Some people have never done that. So they've got all these faults, and all of a sudden, bang, they get married with these faults. They've never worked on it. That is very dangerous. So you might, some people might have um, some mild mental problems. Some people might have some emotional problems. Some people might have uh, other character problems. Work a lot of it out as a single person and then go to the marriage in a stronger way. Not ignore it all, lead a loose life, lead a life where you don't even care much about your spiritual life, still go to church a bit, and all of a sudden get married, you have got problems. So if someone's leading a spiritual life 
is struggling, has got faults, but they're repenting, trying, etc. And they, you know, they're trying to go close to Christ and they're praying, etc. Repenting, confessing, communion, etc. Those people then are, are different to someone who doesn't care at all. So what your, what your question is, is that, yes, we should be to some extent critical and careful because the person if we, if, that we're going to marry, if we marry the wrong person because we didn't ask God, we are putting on ourselves a cross, like a, a suffering, which we may not be able to endure and lose our souls. That's how important it is. So we have the right to be, to some extent, critical. What I think you're speaking about is those people who are critical but not using the criteria of the church, not using the church's way of thinking of things, but looking at, oh, you know, he's got a big nose and she's got this and she's got body odor or whatever, all these stupid things or other things like that. He hasn't got a good job, she's got a good job. These superficial things, which are important to some extent, not the nose part, but like a job. But the most important thing is, and this is what the whole fathers say, praying continually as a single person for God to show you his will in everything. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all the rest will come. Did I, um, did I touch on your... I'll read you something, which I think, since you brought it up. Um, this is even for someone... Say you, you, um, there's someone who's sickly. Someone's got physical problems. We don't, we don't um, what do you call it? We don't show, um, what's that word called? Discrimination and this and that. But if you're going to marry someone and want to have children and you're marrying someone that's got some serious physical illnesses, how is that person going to bear children and how is that person going to take care and help, in, in, you know, whatever, in, in the family life if they're there? So here's what, here's a father... Archimandrite John, he's a Russian elder. He died around um, 2006, I think, like a very good elder from in Russia, in Moscow. And he says, um, he writes a letter and he says, knowing well your sickly condition, answer the question you asked me yourself. Family life is a podvig, meaning it's a struggle. In all respects, people don't understand that. They, they think that married life is just something which is like... Um, a fan? I don't know. In their fantasies, they think it's just, oh, we got, we're, like I met someone that goes, oh, I'm going to get married. You know, I'm going to get married. And they think that they're going to, a, you know, like a, an amusement park or something. It's not. It's actually a really serious thing. And it is um, so difficult to marry. And he says, family life is a podvig. It's a spiritual struggle in every aspect. You need much strength. Spiritually, morally, and physically, you need that strength in order to be a wife, he's talking to a woman in this one in this case, a mother and a housekeeper. If you don't have the strength, then there's no point in thinking about marriage. See, that's people don't understand. I'm, as I said, one person, he, he, um, he met this um, woman, and um, the same one with the gelatos and all that, and he actually knew that that woman is very sick, very, very, very sick uh, physically and mentally. And he says, I'm still going to marry her because I've got love and I'm going to take care of her and I'm going to 
protect her and help her. But after they got married, um, he just cannot cope with the fact that he has to do everything. She can't take care of the children properly, etc. And the whole marriage is like a bomb ready to explode. And they're, and they're both suffering. So that's one thing. Now, there's another one. So it says, um, yeah, if you don't have the strength, then there's no point in thinking about marriage. Otherwise, you yourself will suffer and your family will be tormented. Now, there's another one on mental illness and marriage. Another letter from the same person. My dear, there was a time when people related more seriously and responsibly to marriage. They looked at it as being really an important thing. And they do not uh, than, than they do now. And in those days, they did not bless. Uh, maybe they talk about the parents, maybe even the priests. The mentally ill to marry out of pity for the future children. Then he says, look and listen to your own children. They are already repeating your parental mistakes. In other words, um, because this woman or man or whatever is got some mental problems, then that's gone on to the children. And so, so it says, they are already repeating your parental mistakes that, so that this will not be, you need to think more about them. In spiritual life, there is no one prescription for everyone. Obviously, I know, for example, someone who met someone who was a little bit depressing, a little bit, like she had a little bit of melancholy. And, um, but he prayed, and she prayed a lot to God. They felt, that wasn't just like a, uh, that they were head over heels, they felt that God blessed that marriage, the priest agreed as well, etc, etc. So they got married. And even though she's got those, those, little, those problems, she's still able to take care of her children and their marriage that they're happy. So that's just an example of that. But there are other things that someone might have mental illness which is quite serious which will affect the children, affect the marriage, especially if they've got fantasy, like, you know, like a bit semi-psychotic and things like that, or schizophrenic. You've got to be careful. You don't just say, oh, love will, love will, um, love will always be an answer. But the thing is that, you know, you've got to have some mind to think of things. Another letter from the same person. Who can guarantee your prosperous life with your illness? Having a family means giving birth to children, and there is a prayer about this at the marriage ceremony. When the priest does the marriage ceremony, he blesses them and says, and may you be fruitful and have children, things like that. The parents are presumed to be healthy. But what can I say to you, he's saying to someone, if you had written to me before you got married, I would have advised you not to get married. But now I can only remain silent. Your cross is heavy, that's all. In marriage is a full family with children. In Christian families, it means not just one, but many. So there's an example of, you know, you might say, oh, I don't really care if we don't have children, or I don't care if you're not orthodox, or I don't care if you've got that problem and love's more important and I love you and this and this and that. But later on, we notice that things do become important. Um... Another thing to be careful of, which is important, a person that's got an unstable soul. So here's one from Elder Porfirios, who died 
a few years ago, uh, one of uh, volumes of books written about him, Greek, a Greek, um, a Greek um, elder, which I was also blessed to um, meet on one occasion. And um, he said, a girl used to come to me from time to time and I saw her soul from the very first moment. He, obviously being uh, holy, he kind of saw that there wasn't something right with her. And she visited a woman's monastery once and one day the abbess came to him and said, what shall I do with this girl? She wants to become a nun. And the elder said, don't make her a nun. Don't accept her. But the abbess didn't listen. So the abbess took her, dressed her, didn't taunt her, but just dressed her in the black and became, she became a novice. Shortly after, she threw it off and went to the um, uh, dance, some dancers and started to dance and, and carry on and this and that. So the abbess came back to the elder and goes, what should I do? Look, you know, what's happened? Um, and the abbess said, I'm in despair. So anyway, the, ab the, the elder uh, must have given her some advice. And later on, the girl came to the elder and said, Elder, I'm in two minds. I'm thinking, should I become a nun, even though she tried and she failed, or should I get married? And you're gonna, you might meet someone, if, you, if, you, if you're dealing with people that are religious, you might meet people who are a bit confused with that. Some people might say, I wanna become a monk, I wanna become a nun, I don't wanna get married, then the next week I wanna become a monk. And you know, these people are very dangerous because later on if they get married, then they go, oh, I should've become a monastic. They come monastic, they say, I should have got married, you know, and they're very unstable, unless they've cleared it up. And that goes back to the gentleman there, which is they've cleared it up not a day before they got married, but over a number of years struggling as a single person and showing once and for all that that's gone. Now, either the marriage is gone or the monastic is gone and they're set. Not a month before, like an alcoholic, someone who's, who drinks, or someone who takes drugs, you might say, oh, what, doesn't God forgive people that have taken drugs. Of course he does. But you don't stop drugs and meet someone and get married. Or you used to drink or used to do this or used to do pornography or whatever and all these other things. You, you need to repent, which God forgives, and then there's a period of time, which is, should be a, a number of years, where the person struggles to repent more of what they've done, gain more and more virtue, to therefore be in a better position to get married. So anyway, she came and she goes, what should I do? And he said, don't get married, don't become a nun. Don't do either. He goes, go, he goes, you're a very un unstable person. And he advised her, just go and go to a hippie commune. And you might say, oh, how does a, a holy elder tell this person to go and, you know, go and become a hippie? And he says, and the woman goes, why are you saying that? She got offended, obviously, because she didn't understand. And he goes, you're not stable, you're like a windmill, and that blows whatever direction the wind blows. If you find yourselves with Christians, you're a Christian. If you find yourselves with worldly people, you're worldly. If you find yourself with hippies, then you're a hippie. So sometimes you go here, other times you go there, so you don't even have any real depth within you, so don't get married because you're going to torment the person you marry, and don't become a monastic. So, there's an example there. All these um, um, points are important. This might um, further go with your question, which you might say, well, it sounds really bad, but I'll go through it. 
of what that in that book says in there, in that, in that pamphlet. It says, don't marry someone because you feel sorry for them. Okay, that is not a good thing. You marry someone because you want to live with them, have a family with them, be together, etc. You don't marry someone because you feel sorry for them. You don't um, look, marry someone who looks at you as their property. That's a, a mental illness. Someone who thinks that they own you. And that happens to women and men. And you know, some men who actually are like that, who believe they own their women, etc., they've actually, they beat them and they've, you know, killed them and things like that. They're called control freaks. Very dangerous. Watch out for that. Not someone who's got a little bit of a problem, gets a little bit jealous and things like that. That's just part of the struggle. As long as they're aware, oh, I got jealous again, sorry, you know, I'm a bit paranoid or whatever. That's part of the spiritual struggle. But not someone who's who really has it full on and doesn't even think it's bad. People who spend a lot of money, travel a lot, obsessed about a good time, drinking too much, gambling, this and that, you know, all these, that is not a person who's gonna have a very good, is gonna be a very good person for marriage. If they used to do it and they've repented and, they've, and they're starting to struggle over a period of time, that's different. A person who overreacts with the slightest things and gets angry, you might say, we all do that. Yeah, but there's some people who get for everything. I mean everything. Everything they react to, they become quite violent. That a person will be, you know, can you tolerate that person? If you can, that's up to you, but it will be very difficult. So don't get mixed up with someone who overreacts sometimes. Someone who overreacts and goes, oh, I'm sorry I overreacted. Someone who got angry and go, forgive me for being angry. Forgive me for telling you off. Someone who's trying in their struggles, compared to someone who does it all the time. Um, then he goes on about the one who's, who, um, who's emotionally sick and psychologically mature, who is continually with their parents, needs their parents for everything. We already went through that. Someone who is uncommunicative, has no friends, interesting. This is what this elder says. Doesn't mean I don't you have to agree with it, but this is what he said. He goes, if someone doesn't have friends at all, there's a high chance that you won't be his friend either in the marriage, or she won't be a friend, because there is something wrong that this person cannot. And then, then people say, oh, but now that I've met you, you be my friend. That's not gonna work because that person has no practice in having friends. Again, that shows the single life, how important it is. As a single person, having different friends, going out, learning. You know, when someone says, oh, you know, what you said was silly. Um, kind of, how can I say, like the person, you know, when you hang around with us in a group and then the person says, oh, that was silly, and you go, oh, was it? I didn't think of it or whatever, and you kind of work out yourself. But you don't have no friends all of a sudden get married and you've never experienced anything, and that, that's, that's gonna be like a torture. Someone who complains, moans, depressed, for example, they continue to say that, that, that you don't love me, they always want reassurance. That's okay, sometimes. Some people do that, some women like to be assured, does the man, some men want to be assured. That's okay, that's part of life. But when the person does it all the time, you know, you don't love me, I don't think you love me, I don't know, or that continually, then that means that the person has a problem which should have been worked out before they got married. Then we've got religious freaks. You might say, well, what's that? Religious freaks are people who are excessive in their religious beliefs, could be orthodox, but they're not 
stable in the way that they look at things. I mean, someone can think, people can say, oh, I've walked in the street and people can say, oh, you know, how you going, freak, because of the way I'm dressed. That's okay, because that's the way priests dress. That's, that, that's okay. But where it's really bad is where someone believes things in a wrong way. Their religious uh, fervour, the whole way of looking at things is a bit warped. That is not good because then that's going to go into the, into the, into the marriage. Uh, of course, we need to elaborate on that. Maybe we can do a next talk. You know, people who are into church politics and love gossiping and looking at this and looking at that, and those people, that's, that's, their whole life is obsessed with church politics. That's no good. Now, attitudes and beliefs. You have to study their person's attitude and belief. For example, is the woman a feminist? Feminism has done some good things, but they've also done a lot of bad things. And if the woman is full-on being brainwashed with feminism, then you're going to have a lot of problems. For example, I was helping a couple in which, and plus today, society is more aimed at women and really puts down the man. So, for example, if a man is verbally abusive or the man, you know, after he was provoked, for example, someone's going to be provoked, push the woman or something like that, then it can become a whole issue of a legal issue. So I said to this fellow, um, mention to these people who told you that what you've done is wrong and it's illegal and, and, and you know, Australia says no to violence with women and there's all these things, which is some good points there. I go, mention to them, for example, how she did this and this to the children and all this abuse and things like that, like what she does. Just mention it, because I knew what they were going to say. They go, Oh, yes, yeah, she must be tired. She must be... And all justification. So there is, a, there is the law has gone that. And if you marry someone like that, then you're going to have a lot of problems because they're going to have a whole attitude which is alien to orthodoxy. Aspects of feminism is completely opposite to that. So is male chauvinism, a male who thinks that women are nothing, that women are just their own property, or women are to be used or whatever, you know, bad attitudes because their father was like that or that's how they've been brought up. That's no good. That's, that's serious because that's going to reflect in the marriage. Um, what's their attitude towards the poor? I've said this before. What's their attitude towards children in general? Once I was with a fellow who said he wants to get married. Uh, no, sorry, he didn't want to get married. He wanted to become a, a monastic. So we were at a house... But some people say they want to become monastics, but they, it could be in their fantasy. But anyway, I had to test to see, what is this guy? Is he saying the truth? Should he get married? Should he not? So we're at a house and there was a father there and he had three children. The children were on him and they were playing and the, the children were kissing him and this guy was next to me like that. And I watched his reaction to that father um, playing with his children and the children were on him and he was kissing and they were kissing him and all that. So I watched him. I've got really good vision on the left and on the right, so I can, you know, it was good in the classroom, actually. You can always see what people are doing, even if you're looking over there, you know what's going on. So I was able to look at him, and he, he, um, I saw his face was going like that. So when I got in the car and I said, um, did you get inclined, like, did you look at that and did you, 
Did you feel inclined? I mean, I saw his face. I didn't say that. Do you feel inclined, Doctor? Does that make you jealous in a good way that you would like to have children like that? He goes, no. What happened to that person? He went and got married. He went and got married. And he cannot feel for his children. He cannot feel for his children. There is in him a block of his children. And I told that person, do not get married. Okay, that is a disaster because those children can be damaged. So these are the things we're going to look at, not trivial things like, you know, I'm not going to marry that guy because I, I saw him pick his nose and I don't like that. You know, that, <laughs> okay, that's bad. You can, when you get married, dip his finger in some pepper and tell him that don't do it again because if he puts his finger in the nose, he won't do it again. Okay, that's okay. That's a trivial type of thing. Um, then we've got... Um, What's their attitude towards divorce? What's their attitude towards abortion? Like a, it's like, um, you know, as you get to know a person for marriage, you ask them, what do you feel? How do you think about abortion? What do you think about divorce? What do you think about adultery? What do you think about pornography? What do you think about drugs? What do you think about alcohol? What do you think about the elderly? That's important too. What do you think about the disabled? What do you think about... Um, uh, what happens if this person that you're going to marry just loves watching horror movies continually, just wants to see guts and blood and choppings and sores and uh, so the chainsaws and then there's um, oh, all these different movies that exist today and this person's just obsessed with that. What are you marrying? Are you marrying a person who's going to be a husband or are you marrying Dracula in disguise? You don't even know who. <laughs> What's the, what's the person's attitude towards astrology? Does, do they believe that if, you know, when Jupiter goes over there, then, you know, it means that we're going to have luck or whatever, or full moons and, and half moons and things like that? People believe in that. What do they think about white magic? Because that's how black magic's bad, but white magic's okay because you're doing good. What do they think about gambling? So then you've got to look at their, their fantasy. Do they have a very, very active fantasy? I don't mean just a little fantasy. I mean an active fantasy. I've met people who actually, from young, watched people on TV and they actually imitate them. Once I was somewhere and there was a show on TV, some movie, and there was an actor there. And I saw the actor, the hair, the way the actor was talking, the way the actor was acting and walking. And I said to the person with me, I go, doesn't that person look like so-and-so? He goes, yeah. can't believe it. He actually imitated his life. And he acts like that person. That is an illness. That is because that person was locked up from young. He had very overbearing parents. And that's a problem. You go, well, oh, what are we going to do if these people throw them away? Aren't they ever going to get married? Yes, they can get married if they work out their problems beforehand. In that case, that particular person, I said to them um, before, years ago, they go, I want to get married. And I said, I don't think you should get married now. I think you should struggle over a number of years. Work your problems out and then get married. He goes, no, but my problems will be worked out when I get married. Once I have my children, once I have my house, once I have my job, once I have my wife, once I have all those things, everything will work out. And I said to him, don't get married. And he got married. And that was a disaster because everything, he just, he had not worked out one thing. And it was interesting that there was 
picture frames in different parts of the houses in strange areas. Who knows why? Hmm? Something else. From his violence, he would punch he would punch holes in the wall. And there was pictures, and I go, why is that picture there? Oh. These should be worked out beforehand. People who are overcritical and hypersensitive, just overcritical and just saying false, 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 false continually. Now, some might say, oh, isn't that what you're doing? You're going through false. There's what's called in Greek orthikrisi and there's katakrisis. Orthikrisis means correct judgment and katakrisis means a harsh judgment. We are not allowed to have harsh judgment, putting people down, which I'm not. But there's what's called correct judgments. For example, you know, if you know that a pedophile lives over there or some rapist or whatever lives over there and you say to your friend, watch out because that person does that, and people go, don't judge. You know, that's not what's called um, uh, harsh judgment. That's proper judgment. We have a right to have judgment in the correct way. We are all at times critical, but there's different types. There's some people who are just obsessed and they're just critical about everything. If they're critical with others, as if you're going out with someone or you want to marry someone and they're going to see that person does that and that person does that and that person does that, blah, 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 they're going to do it to you. If you can tolerate that, the, the doors are open. That, that, that's okay. And someone who, someone who says, oh, well, it's time now to go to my prison sentence. It's time to marry. You know, and they regard marriage as a prison sentence. Well, why would you want to marry someone who regards you as their warden, as your, as your um, you know, guard? So that's not a healthy attitude. Marriage is beautiful. Marriage is where you're going to be blessed together, etc., etc. If you've got a person that, isn't that a serious issue? I think it is. Someone who sees sexual relations as filthy, that's a problem. That's a problem. And uh, coming to the end, someone who's a perfectionist, like overdone, that, that can become a sickness, actually, when the person just is just really, really, um, um, anyway, if you met perfectionists, you'll know, not just someone who just wants to do things properly and, like, I mean, perfectionists can be dangerous because they actually, once they feel something's not right, they break down. And then, um, and watch out for those who think they've been chosen by God to correct everyone. They're constantly looking for faults in others, which you've said. You should pay attention to hereditary. This is what the fathers say. Watch out. If you see that there's something wrong with the parents, there's a high chance there'll be something wrong with that person. You've got to watch out for that. It doesn't mean that because someone's got an off mother, you're not going to marry them. But it's good to look at it, consider it, pray to God, is this the person for me? Look at the grandmother, the father, the brother. This is what the fathers say to do. Watch out for someone whose parents have been very much pressure on them because they can also have a lot of personality problems. They need to work that out as a single person before they get married, not in the marriage, even though a lot of it will still continue in the marriage, but at least you've worked a lot of it out beforehand. And um, Father Paisios again says that children that have been spoilt, children that don't even, get, don't even do housework and things like that, this, this is what he says, so just in case you go away and say, oh, he's really mad. 
Well, then you deal with this elder who they say is one of the you know, great ones. As I said, these books have been translated in so many languages. He says that don't let your children study all day and they, you know, don't let them, and you must make them do some work, give them responsibility because those people who don't have responsibility, those children, will later on become incapable of getting married or becoming monks or nuns. So that's also important. As the last thing is just on, the, um, on praying to God. Everything counts on that because you can be very careful, look at this criteria and say that, and then say, okay, I've got this person. But you have to pray with your heart, which is not a heart which has already made up its mind. So a lot of people, they pray and they go, God, should I marry that person? But in their heart, they've already made up their mind. They're not, they're not interested. It's, it's pharisaical. It's not right. When we pray, we pray and say, truly, is this the person for me? Is this person going to help me in my salvation or is this person going to be my destruction? And you pray with all your heart and one million percent God will help a person who asks him, as you will read in the, in the laminates which I've got here to give to you, etc. God will help those who ask. And one daring prayer, I remember this priest told me years ago, he said... He wasn't sure, should he become a priest? Should, by becoming a priest, will that help him with his own salvation or will he lose it? You know, what does it mean? It's like the biggest thing is to become a priest. Well, one of, another big thing is to get married. Mammoth, great big thing to produce children, etc. As, we'll as we will learn in the, in the further talks. A great, great big thing. And... This priest, this person was saying, should I ask, sorry, should I become one or not? In his heart, he wanted to do it, but he still wasn't sure, should he do it? I remember the story, this person was from Greece, and he actually said that he prayed. And this is the prayer that he made, and this will show you how important it is to look for God's will and make sure that the prayer is real and never pray for anything that you don't mean. This person said, if it's not your will for me to become, because I might get confused, or someone, even a bishop, might say, yes, yes, become, because a lot of bishops are desperate these days, and they make basically, or some bishops do make anyone. And, um, and he knew that. He said, well, how do I know I don't come across? Yes, yes, my son, you know, this is God's will for you to become, the bishop might say. That doesn't mean anything, because... The bishop might be desperate and he didn't think things right because there's no priest and they make priests easily. So this person said, if it's not your will, don't let me fall into I do not want to be ordained. If it's not your will, let something happen to me. Let my fingers, one, two, three or whatever, because when you, you can't become a priest if, you've got, if you haven't got all your fingers. And he said, if it's especially the hand that you bless. So he said, if it's not your will, cut them off. And he meant it. I was, when he told me the story, I was quite thinking. He goes, I'd rather have no fingers or two fingers or I don't care how many fingers I have as long as I don't go and do something which will cause me to lose my soul. And it's the same when you're marrying. 
make sure that you pray with such fervor and say, who is the person for me you know? God has already chosen who is for you. And if you don't take that and you use your own criteria, which goes back to the question that the our friend there said, that yes, criteria, but the ultimate is God's help. And that's what he said. Take away my fingers, take away my hand, and he meant it. I don't want to become if it's not your will. It's the same because he was scared he's going to lose his soul. It's the same as here. You might marry someone who will be for you the loss of your soul. This person becomes one with you. So, and what happens to those who already married someone and they didn't ask God? That's a question is that some people will actually be here that are married and say, I never asked God. And what happens then? And that's what we're going to answer in the next in the next talk. So you can be as you can be Sherlock Holmes, you can study everything you want with a person. Ultimately, you do that, but at the same time, you must ask God's will to be done. When Christ was in the garden, uh, before he was crucified, he prayed and he said, as a human, because sometimes Christ showed his human nature, sometimes he showed his divine nature. As he's in the human nature, he said, because he was scared. As a human, he's scared. He was scared to go on the cross. He was scared to suffer as humans, as we are all. So he prayed and as, a, as, 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 a, as a man and said, may this cup be taken away from me. May this suffering be taken away from me. And then the magic words, which is what we all should say, but not my will be done, your will be done. And... That is very important. Whatever we pray for, we always should always end it with your will be done. Don't pressure God. Now, someone would say, but doesn't it say in the Bible, knock, keep on asking, be persistent? What was wrong with that couple asking God continually, give me a child, give me a child, give me a child? What was wrong? The answer is, what was wrong with that? that, that we're, we're asked. It doesn't it say in the Bible, persist, persist. Always keep on knocking. Always keep on asking God with what you want. So why then did that catastrophe occur that at the end he lost his wife because she left him, lost his son? What a, a catastrophe. Why? What's, what's the problem? There's nothing wrong with asking for the child. Please give me a 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 child. But they left one thing out. But thy will be done. They never said that. Never said that. They kept on saying, I want a child, I want a child, I want a child, I want a child. And sometimes God gives us what we, what we shouldn't have, as a punishment actually. And then that catastrophe occurred. So, I, I like that man, or I like that woman, I want to marry that person. I, give me that, I, I, if, if, you know, let me marry her, for example. That's okay. I want that person. But thy will be done. As long as you say that at the end and really mean it, that you really mean it, everything will go all right. If you don't say that, it doesn't matter how much you can think, you can study every book, it doesn't matter we can follow what I said today, it's all worthless because really in the long run, only God knows what is the best for us, only him. Okay. Are there any questions? Or just... Yes. So I lost, I lost concentration. Just show one, one more time. Yeah, um, like in regards to 
I think that's what the other gentleman said. Yeah, good. it's a good question, but it's simple. With man, it's impossible. With God, it's possible. You pray to God, and if it's his will, it will be worked out without you, with, to your surprise. He'll work it out even better than what you thought, like since you are Kimanana. They prayed for a child. They had passed the age, but they still continued to pray, knowing that, that other, other people in the Old Testament had, had children. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, but and, and they got a child. And then as the fathers say, but what a child. They had, they gave birth to the future mother of God. So more than what they expected, but they trusted in him. But always at the end said, they will be done. So um, there are people, you're, say, for example, I'm not going to embarrass you, just say you're 18, whatever, and, you, and you're doing your spiritual life and you're praying from now. Okay, and then you're praying for God to send you someone when the time comes. Meanwhile, there might be someone who's not leading a proper life. Some fellow's not leading, but you don't even know the person. The person might be the same age as you, repents, and then that person starts to lead a spiritual life. One year, two years, three years, and all of a sudden you're around 24, 25. He's 24, 25. He's already, he's, he's already and then that person might be the person for you. God knows everything, and that's the thing. We have to have trust. He knows what's for us. You might find, in your case, you might be someone from Serbia. might be someone from Russia. It might be someone from America. God will bring who he knows is good for you as long as you ask. If you don't ask, you work out your own in your own brain, then you're going to hit your head badly. Anything else? If someone's been brought up in the church, they can get married earlier. The church fathers, actually, in the old times, you know, marriages used to take place even 15, 16. The mother of God was 15 when she was betrothed because that was around the age. And those examples of the villages that I, used, that I went to Greece to, my mother's village, I saw girls getting there married at 15. Um, but uh, now people are immature. If they're church going, 15 is probably too young even for today, but... You know, earlier, the earlier the better if the person's mature. If the person's not mature, they, you know, they should not. They should wait because they're not mature. They're not wanting response. That was a good question because I wanted to say that. We should encourage our children, if we're bringing them up in the church, to get married early. It prevents a lot of problems. However, if they're immature like a lot of people are today, I wouldn't even encourage them to get married at 40. You know, it's just... Not, 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 not worth it. It's a disaster because they're not, they're not responsible. That's why a lot of women and men they are getting married at forty because it's about around about the age of forty they go finally go. Oh, I want to settle down, and there are they are um, you know they admit they were irresponsible. Whether it's going to work or not, it might, it might not. 
ultimately it's your spiritual life. The more a person, as a single person, leads a spiritual life, which is able to do better, as a married person, it's very hard because they've got the children that's a bit all wrapped up. They need to have that training from single. As a person is single, they will begin to understand better and God will give them enlightenment and they will begin to see themselves things that are, you know, the correct thing and not, not look at stupid things but look at important things. And, um, and next week we're going to look at the husbands next month, the roles of husbands, wives, and we'll, we'll touch on those things as well. And was one more person? Yes? A person first and mostly learns relationships from their family. So that's the most important. And a lot of kids today, they don't have any interest in their family. They haven't got no relationship with their parents properly, with their siblings. So therefore, they're, even if they go out dating, they're dead. That's just a, a done deal. That they, you know, they can't relate to their own family. How are they going to relate outside? A person also learns as a single person to relate to friends to other people, like here, there's friends. They don't have to go out on a date if that person wants to speak to that person. And as long as it's a safe environment, that shows. There's also at school, there's also at work, there's also all these ways a person develops relationships which help in the more intimate ones. The dating uh, prematurely, that type of thing that you're saying, it, uh, it doesn't work and it does not help. We've already went through that, all the disadvantage of it. Now, as a mother, you might have children that don't understand that, they don't, they've never, they don't follow that, they don't believe in that, then you're going to have problems. That, that's a problem, that's a cross that you're going to have as a parent. There are parents out there who have children that do not go to church much or don't even believe much in those things. All you can do is pray for them and try to, as the saints say, pray more to God speak less to them, tell them a few things and hope that God will enlighten them. But you can't physically stop them when they're at an older age. But you can also give them some logic if they're willing to listen. If they're not even willing to listen to that, all then you can do is just pray to God. But we've already established from before that those datings, it actually creates more problems. People can learn to relate even with people every day. They don't have to have a date to learn to relate. And if it was so good, where so many people are dating, why then is there such a high divorce rate? And why do, people ha are, why do people have so much problems with relationships in the first place, if dating is so good? Yes? These are people who are, are, ha have become Christians, committed Christians who want, who are struggling to really apply that to. If you're getting a worldly person, why would you tell them that? It's not going to, it's like when you, I see someone with, say, an earring. I might see a guy with an earring. Well, I'm not going to tell him not to wear the earring when you see a girl with, with uh, inappropriate dress. I'm not going to tell him that when they're not even interested in salvation. They don't, they don't even know who Christ is. So why would you, well, you're doing ex externals. I don't do this, wear this, wear your car, you know, put your hair like that. And they don't, I don't believe in that stuff. I believe in that the person has to change. You don't teach the person and say, don't do this, don't do that. And it becomes like off. You know, you've got to let the per if the person is struggling and wants to do what God wants, then they'll understand it. If they don't want it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So I wouldn't even, 
I tell parents, I'll try and tell them to encourage them, but you can't stop them. It's too hard, especially today, because I'll just put you in jail or something. So that, that, that's the way it is now. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy and save us. Amen. Thank you for coming. And there's also the program for next month for the talk, which will be a continuation of what we're doing.